Would you be seated, please? I'll ask you to take your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1 in your Bible. We're going to be intentional with our time just on one specific topic today. Genesis chapter 1, then we'll be in one book in um, just a few minutes after that. And so I'd like to ask you to stop and bow with me in prayer one more time. We'll ask for God's blessing on his word. Heavenly Father, we are blessed in wonderful ways to be able to hold this book, your very word to us. We thank you for how we got this book, the supernatural way that it came. We thank you, God, that it's what we need to get us through our journey. We praise you for the time we can join together to study it. We praise you for the time that we can get alone and study it. And God, we thank you for the promise that your word will not return void or empty. And we would, that would be our prayer even during this time. I pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start by asking a question that I would be curious to get some of the, to find out some of your responses after I ask it. That question would be, what in your life is blocking your path to the good life? Now, I know we've got to define what the good life is, and we're going to get into that. But if I were to ask you to take a pencil from the pew in front of you and take a little piece of paper and write down just one thing, what one thing is in your path? is blocking you from getting to the good life. Some of you might write down something that is to be removed from your life. If only this could be taken away, then I'd be on my way to the good life. Perhaps some of you would want to add something. If I could just get this as a part of my life, then I would be on my way to the good life. You know, when we think of our lives, it is a blessing to see how God is involved and what God does. And sometimes we take for granted all that he does. It sounds unusual for us to talk about God and him making something and God making something good. It sounds unusual because we just kind of assume that, right? If God is going to make something, if he's going to produce something, he's going to make it good. He's going to make it perfect every time. If we're going to define the good life, and maybe I have your attention. Maybe some of you have been working for years to get to a point where you can have the good life. We're going to talk about that in the next several minutes. I'd like for us to define the good life in the best possible way, and that's why we're in Genesis chapter 1. Because we find in Genesis chapter 1, God at work making things. God is busy in this account of creation that we have, and we find a wonderful adjective to describe the work that God does. We're going to skip around here a little bit. We're going to start in verse number three. It says, And God said, Let there be light. And if you look about halfway down into verse four, it says, And that God saw that that light was good. Skip down to verse number nine where it says there at the end, and let dry land appear. And if you can follow that thought down to the end of verse 10, it says, and God saw that the dry land was good. Skip to verse 12, 
The earth brought forth vegetation. So here's all the trees and flowers and bushes, everything that was there. And down at the end of verse 12, it says, And God saw that it was good. Verse 16, And God made the two lights, the greater to rule the day and the lesser to rule the night. So here's all the stars. And then if you skip down to the end of verse 18, it says, God saw that it was good. Verse 20, And God said, Let the waters swarm with the swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth. We can take all that and look at the end of verse 21, where it says, And God saw that it was good. And then verse 24, And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. And then it gives a description of them. And then at the end of verse 25, It says, and God saw that it was good. And 26 goes on to say, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And if you want to skip down just for another emphasis, we get down to verse number 31. It says, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So here we find this account of creation. We find that when God makes something, God makes it perfect. He even called it perfect all throughout. The land and the plants and the moon and the stars and the fish and the birds. And he saw these things. And everything that God made was good. But what does that mean exactly? We've got to define that word good. Well, let me suggest at least three different ways that we can understand the goodness of what God made. First of all, everything that God made was morally good. There was no sin in anything that God created. So it was morally good. We also know that it was good in that it was beautiful. This morning I was outside and I saw the sky just as the sun was coming up and I couldn't even find a name for a color that I found there in the sky, somewhere between a white and a blue with some yellow in it. And I thought, my goodness, this is after sin came into the world, after the fall. What must it have been like before sin entered the world? When God made everything, he made everything good in that it was beautiful. But there's another way of thinking of this word good that I want to talk about for our time today. When God made everything, he made it good in that it was usable. It could be used in the way that exactly God wanted it to be used. Is there a lesson for us in these verses that tell us that God made everything good? Can we connect this to our life today? Because I can already go to where some of you are at if you're following through with this idea. You're thinking, got it. God made everything, he made everything good, but I've read the next couple chapters there, Jeremy. Something comes into the world called sin. And so are we able to see God still make something good even after sin has come into the world? I want to help you define this word good, and I want you to apply it to yourself. And let me use this illustration. Um, Let's think of a knife, okay? Let's say I have a knife. And if I say, this is a good knife, what do I mean by that? If I've got that and I, and I call the knife good, what am I saying? I'm saying, 
that that knife cuts well. When I want to cut something, maybe cut a box open or to uh, cut something for a job around the house, I go and grab that knife and the job cuts, the knife cuts well. The knife is accomplishing what its purpose was for. When God created something and God, and God called it good, this is what it is. When God created something and called it good, it meant that it was performing its intended purpose, all right? So when God made the animals and called them good, they were performing exactly what God, had, God wanted them to do. And when he made the sun and moon and stars, and when he made man, God called it all good because it was performing its intended purpose. It was designed to do this. And I want to encourage you that God has you in mind with this definition of good. And so I would ask you, how are you doing? How are you doing with living the good life? Now, you're going to have to change your definition possibly. Some individuals think of the good life and right away their mind goes to some things that they can get. Maybe peace in my life, that's the good life, less headaches. Maybe finances, bank account built up so that I can rest easy. A refrigerator full of food. Less problems in my life. See, we have something that comes to mind when we think of the good life. And you're going to have something that comes to mind when you think of what's blocking you from getting to the good life. And I want to suggest that God has for every one of his children a good life. He has a path for you to get to a place where you are living the good life. Now, I mentioned earlier that problem, that three-letter word that came into the world, the problem of sin. And when we look at sin... We might think, you know what, we're going to have to wait until we get to heaven before we can really understand what good is. But I want to challenge you not to fall into that trap. I want to pull you away from that idea of thinking that you cannot have the good life just because you live in the nasty now and now. Not the sweet by and by, but the nasty now and now. Where sin is all around us. And unfortunately, sin is within sometimes. Can you get to the good life even before Jesus Christ comes back for his children? I want to ask you to turn to Exodus chapter 4. Turn over to Exodus chapter 4 and we're going to see one example of something that God did after sin came into the world. In Exodus chapter 3, we find that God appears to Moses. And if you're familiar with the story, it's beautiful. God appears to Moses in that miraculous way through that burning bush. Do you remember that story? Remember how he was a shepherd and out in the wilderness Moses was and there's a a bush on fire over there. That wasn't completely unheard of. It was very dry and there could be a lightning strike. But what was unusual was that the bush was not being consumed. Here's a bush and it's on fire and Moses says, I'm going to turn aside and see what's going on with this bush that will not get burnt up. And as he gets closer, there's a voice that speaks, and what does God say to Moses? Take off your shoes. The place you're standing is holy ground. So understand the scene here of what's going on. God appears to Moses, and he gives him this message. And don't rush by this, because it's huge. God says to Moses, 
you have left Egypt and you've come out here and you've been a shepherd for all these years. I'm going to take you and I'm going to send you back to Egypt. And the reason, Moses, that I'm going to send you back to Egypt is because you are going to deliver my people from slavery. You see, God's people had left Canaan years earlier, decades earlier, and had gone to Egypt for, to save their own lives because there was a famine. Many of you remember that story of Joseph and the famine that came. And Joseph takes his family of 70 and goes to Egypt and they get the best of the land. Well, hundreds of years pass, and this group of 70 Hebrews turns into between 2 and 3 million. They were so great that Pharaoh in Egypt said, these guys are so big, they can take over us. So they made them slaves. They put taskmasters over them, and it was a horrible life. Now, Moses was miraculously saved. Remember that part of the story? Remember when Moses was a baby, and his mom took him and put him in that little basket and put it out in the river? And Pharaoh's daughter found it. So Moses had the opportunity of being raised in Pharaoh's home. Even though he was a Hebrew, he should have been a slave. And this is what's happening in Moses' life. Moses sees the miracle going on. He sees the bush not consumed. He receives the message. And Moses says this to God. I hear everything that you're saying, but these people will never believe me. If I go back there, these people are never going to believe me. And at that point, God comes to Moses with a question. Now, before we ask that question, we need to understand a little bit behind um, studying the Bible and why God asks questions. We see that in Jesus Christ sometimes in the New Testament. Christ will ask a question. God sometimes will ask a man or a woman, a question? Why is it in the Bible that God ever asks a question? Or better, is there any piece of information that God does not know that he needs to ask me about or you about? No, there's not. God has all knowledge. He has all wisdom. So why would God ask a question? Do you know why? He always asks it for the benefit of the one hearing the question. So keep that in mind here. In Exodus chapter 4, when we find that God asked Moses this question. We're going to read verses 2 through 5. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. And so he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. And so he put out his hand and caught it. And it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. God asked Moses a question. What is that that you're holding? I think it's good for us to think about the object. He had a staff in his hand. Why did he have a staff? He was a shepherd, right? He had turned himself into a shepherd. It represented his identity. It represented his financial security. They did not have money stored up in the bank back in these days. It was in his flock. And he would have that staff that would help him to tend to his flock. That 
staff represented his job. And I want to suggest to us today that there is a good life that is available to each one of us. And I can't help but wonder if very possibly in the quiet times when you're with God, perhaps when you're reading God's word, perhaps when you're praying, maybe when you're on a drive and it's just you and God, in those quiet, still times, I wonder if you can hear God ask this question, what is in your hand? What is that in your hand? You see, God understands everything that you have. God knows what your identity is built up in. He knows how many pennies are in your bank account. He knows how many seconds you have left to live. And so God never asked this question so that he can get an answer. God asked this question of you so that you could examine what is it that I have. God would take that staff and he would use that as something that Moses would use as he would walk before Pharaoh. He would touch the waters of the Nile and it would turn to blood, the first of the ten plagues that would lead to God's people being set free. God would use that rod in a very specific way and Moses would carry it with him when he led the children of Israel through the wilderness for 40 years. And he had that. And God started all of that by asking him a question, what is in your hand? And God used what was in Moses' hand to lead him to a life of humility and faith and of experiencing the miracles of God. Now, I would ask you today, what's in your hand? What is it that you're holding on to that represents your identity? What is it that perhaps you thought in your head, if I could just get a good handle on this, then I would have the good life. If God asked Moses, what is that in your hand, and God wanted to use it, I want to suggest to you that God, even after sin came into this world, God still has a good, good plan. And here's what God does. You don't have to be like Moses to experience the good life. You don't have to be like the best Christian that you know to experience the good life. God understands that every one of us has a different background. We have different giftings, different personalities. We all have our own unique story. And God is so beautiful in that he doesn't just have to have this cookie cutter kind of a man or a woman in order to use them. You see, when God asks what's in your hand, there might be 200 different answers that would come out from this group. And God looks at that and he's not confused. Okay, I know what to do with these five things, but I'm not sure what to do with this. You see, the beauty of our God and the beauty of his ability to make anything good is that he can take you and your entire story and you know your own shortcomings, right? You know where you fail. In the prayer a little bit ago, we were challenged when we were taking the cup to think about our own lives and examine ourselves, the sin that we struggle with. Brothers and sisters, our time is so short in this world. 
What is in your hand? God has given you this so that you can be used for him to have the good life in a way that God would define the good life. And it's so beautiful, our God. It's so beautiful what he does. You see, when he made everything at first and there was no sin, he looked at it and said, it is very good. And there is coming another day when God will use the word good. The Bible tells us about that day. That day that is coming. That day that involves you and me if you are a Christian today. If you know Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that there is going to come an end to this life that we live and there is going to come a judgment. That confuses some Christians when I say you're going to stand before God and be judged because If you've been saved, you're thinking, hang on a second, I can't be judged because my sins have been forgiven. The Bible does not tell us that we will be judged for our sins if we're Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ. The Bible tells us that we will stand before God and we will be judged for our good works. And I think that as God examines what we have done with what is in our hand, whether you chose to put it in your hand or not, you're a steward of it. And if you stand there and look at the past life that you've had, God will look at you and stand as a judge. And it's very, very possible that at that point, you can hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. You see, just because sin came into the world and just because you're shortcomings, your sin, your whatever are great and big and dominate you sometimes does not mean that God cannot take whatever is in your hand and make something good. And can I challenge you today to live the good life? What does that mean to you? It's this combination of you being faithful along with God being faithful. And when we walk in obedience and we walk by faith and then God beautifully um, touches our lives with what he wants to do, it's then that he looks at us and he says, my goodness, look at my son. Look at my daughter. How beautiful. What a good life they have lived. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, you are so good to leave us in this world. I know there are times that we would scream to be dismissed. There are times that we would want to just be taken home to heaven even today. But God, I thank you that you've allowed us to be stewards, stewards of whatever is in our hand. And sometimes we need to be shaken. We need to wake up to see what is in our hand. God, I thank you for that question you asked Moses, and I thank you that he was willing to be obedient because he saw that you would be with him. And God, I thank you that we can walk in this world and we can be obedient. And I would not have the guts to do it if I thought I was going to be alone. But I'm not alone. You are with me always as we walk in this world. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm gonna ask the piano just to play through a stanza. This is a chance for you to pray. There's two categories of people in this world. There are people who, when they die, they're going to go to heaven and be with God forever. And there are those 
who when they die, they're going to be separated from God in a place called hell. The way that you can go to heaven and be a child of God is by asking God to forgive you of your sins because of the work Christ did on the cross. You can do that even during this time. Pray to God, ask him to forgive you, make you his child. For everyone that knows Christ, I would ask you just to maybe with your eyes closed, hold your hands open and think of God asking you the question, what is in your hand? How might you use what is in your hand to live the good life? Take a moment to pray while the piano plays through.